Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week, I'm so thrilled to be rejoined by a guest that I had on many moons ago, and actually, he was my most listened to, to this date, still is the most listened to guest, whether celebrity or expert or otherwise, Dr. Michael Caine, who came on before to perfectly explain your anxiety. I'm so delighted that he was able to come back. This time, we're talking about something a little bit different, which is the basal level of anxiety that we all experience as a result of our environment so technology our phones consumerism capitalism politics everything you can check him out on his website actualize.ie if you want to learn more about getting your mind mapped or any kind of brain stuff he is just the best in the business this was super interesting for me and helpful and i hope it's the same for you thank you as always for listening and for sharing Dr. Michael Kane, thank you so much for returning to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. It's so good to have you. I have to tell you, you are the most listened to guest, celebrity or expert or otherwise, that I've ever had. Oh, that's great to hear. Thanks for having me back. Today, we're talking about a subject that I think is so subtle, but so powerful that is in everyone's life, everyone is affected by this and it's our environment. You being a behavioral neuroscientist have a real insight into this and you're really interested in this topic as well. And you think this is the big one that we need to pay attention to, right? It is. We talk about anxiety and you talk about anxiety and everybody talks about their own anxiety and the work that they have to do internally. You know, people do CBT and therapy and all sorts of interesting things. And all of those things, you know, are valid. Absolutely. And they, they say happiness is an inside job, right? And that's true. I mean, you can create your own narrative and you can be mindful and accept and do all of those things, which are very, very useful. And they are valid therapeutic options and they work. And, you know, that goes without saying. But I think uh, as we look at this more and more, it's useful to look at the neuroscience of it and the evolution of it like we did before. 
So the last time you and I spoke, we talked about how our brains generate anxiety and that, you know, anxiety is kind of a basal state for us. And, you know, you have to work to get away from that because our brain operates on that safety first principle. And if, if we then begin to sort of expand that out a little bit to understand what that means for the world that we live in now. So the brain that we have evolved, evolved and, and the body that we've evolved, evolved for the environment that it was in, and it got better at doing things like a lot of other animals did. And one of the key things that humans figured out early is that if we band together, we can do lots of really cool things. So we're pretty useless on our own. I mean, as a species, we're, we are, how many years of our lives do we spend absolutely completely dependent on a caregiver? Um, and, and you compare that to any other animal. You know, if you grow up in a farm or you have a dog or you have a cat or whatever, you know, they're fairly independent fairly quickly, but we are terrible. So we have evolved to work in groups. And that's really important for us just for basic survival. You cannot survive without being a member of a group. That's just a basic fact. Okay. And the better those groups are and, and, and as, as, as we evolved and as our societies evolved, the roles changed. And we understood that, hang on, if, if we assign roles to people, so some people are primary caregivers, some people are bigger and stronger, and they're probably better at running after things. And some people are smarter, so they're better at figuring out how we might trap these different animals and whatnot. We began to build more and more intricate societies as we know them. And they functioned very, very well. And then we began to understand farming. And, and you know, I mean, that's an old story. But if we look at it from the perspective of, of me as an individual, what's the biggest risk to me now? And, I, and I'm talking me, you know, 50,000 years ago. We figured out caves. We figured out living in trees. We figured out keeping the animals out. You know, we're keeping the snakes out. We've, we, or we figured out that some people are better at doing that than others and they can protect me from it. And all the ostensible sort of threats are gone. So what's the biggest threat to me now is... What if I fall outside of this group? Mm -hmm. What if this group doesn't take me? We have to consider then that that fear of social exclusion has again become embedded in our neurophysiology and in our, in our evolving and developing and increasingly complex psychology as we evolved. So then we do things to make sure that we stay within that group. So if I can give you a sort of a trite example, and a lot of this is um, extends forward into non-function behaviors now. So think about being in a car with somebody and another car cuts in front of you. Now they're a bit aggressive and they cut in front of you. You're stuck in traffic and they're sitting there. Or you're not stuck in traffic, you're just driving along the road and somebody sort of aggressively passes you out and they're zooming off up ahead. And drivers will do all sorts of funny things you know, blowing the horn, speeding up, trying to, uh, try to catch up to them or whatever, you know. You know, people do these irrational, silly things. And, and I mean, all you need as a driver in that instance is a passenger sitting beside you saying, what the hell are you doing? It's making no sense. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, what are you going to do? You catch up to that car. Or they're making you do these silly things that you wouldn't normally do, like drive erratically or drive quicker than you'd like to. But let's sort of zoom it back and think, right, what's, what's just really happened is there's an affront to your status and somebody has got one over on you. Now you're, you've already lost. 
I mean, in the most meaningless way. But socially speaking, there's been an affront to your being, as it were. So you have to fight back. There is this inbuilt drive to fight back even when you know you can't win. Now, what value does that have? So in that intricate society that you have where, you know, some people are at the top and some people are further down, even when you know you're going to lose, if somebody challenges you, you have to fight back to be seen to not be weak. It's the perception of all the other people around that you need to protect at this point. That's what you'd say at the cerebral level. Yeah. You you know, somebody, if you're watching it on a documentary, you know, David Attenborough, whoever would say, and what's happening here is... Mm -hmm. But for you in that moment, there is a drive. You know it doesn't make sense, but your heart is pumping and you're cross and you're going to show them. And I can't believe this happened. And angry, angry, angry. Like a lot of other drives we have, it's just a basic thing. You can't explain it. And you'll end up and later, you know, kind of rolling your eyes and think, of what, you know, what was I thinking? Yeah. And, and the person sitting in the passenger seat can point out the illogical nature of that action. So if we start to look at our behavior and our existence in a supremely complex world. And we think that we have some fairly basic neurophysiological and social drives that have come from our past. I mean, and we're stuck with those. We begin to understand then that certainly, you know, anxiety is an inside job. Happiness is an inside job. But the world around us, has become so good at priming us for that anxiety that one major part of the, the, the fight back, actually, is just to begin to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Just that insidious trickling of data or experiences that keep you on edge. Now, you, you know, I'm not going to go down the whole kind of manipulation of the masses thing, but this, you know, this is where this ends up. Yeah. But if you take, for instance, media in general, I saw an image from the Ukrainian war a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not even going to describe what it was, but it was certainly the worst thing I have ever seen on the internet. Literally the worst, I, it, and, I, and I, I, this doesn't often happen, but there were te- tears in my eyes as I was, uh, I looked at it, I looked at it close and I thought, why did I do that? And I couldn't sleep. And I thought to myself, a human being witnessing that kind of thing should be a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. We're not supposed to have access to this much imagery. Never. And- if you saw that in any other time in human existence, you would be in a a life-defining, threatening situation that would be that most humans would never be expected to experience. However, we see that just you know at eleven o'clock before you go to bed at night. Now that that's that's a sort of an egregious example, but we have to understand the subtle trickling of just experiences around us that constantly just drip a little threat, a little prod towards anxiety that just very insidiously suggest, and maybe you should, are you a little bit, hang on, I, you know, look at the watch. Are you okay? Are you, mm-hmm. are you keeping up? 
as, as a risk that you're not going to be, you know, in with the gang? A big example that's widely experienced by particularly women and younger generations I'm noticing now, and it's with the phones and everything, it's the must-have product, the must-have clothing. And it's trying to go up against that as an individual, against all of this tech and all of these masterminds that just want to create this want in you that buying a product will solve. It creates an anxiety that they're trying to fix, but they're creating it in the first place by Mm. this need to keep up. And I actually really feel now that the fast fashion industry is one of the biggest contributors to this basal anxiety you, you speak of. People think is so innocuous and you're like, oh, I just believe that if I buy this latest clothing thing, it will make me look better, make me more socially acceptable. And I have to keep up with that all of the time. And there is a risk and a threat that if you don't, you're not cool enough, you're not fashionable enough, you're not relevant. That's how far down it's gone into our existence, I think. You literally have just taken the example right out of my mouth. It's a perfect example. The concept of fashion. Let's think about that. Spring collections, summer collections, autumn collections, winter collections. I am no expert, obviously, but I know fashion exists, right? And it changes so frequently. And what it's a it's a perfect illustrative example. Do you want to risk social exclusion? Do you now go back to that basal fear? Social mm-hmm. exclusion in our previous existence essentially meant meant a death sentence or at the very best your genes were your gene pool was going to end with you now are you going to have genes that are slightly too baggy or tight (laughs) or you know are you going to wear this wear that wear the other you know whatever the examples might be Mm -hmm. and the marketing that goes into that and it's gone beyond marketing now now it's just an accepted fact of life it's like cars. It's like built-in obsolescence in, in, in technology. If the idea that you could have something that will last you a long time is now a thing of the past. Yeah. Right. And it, it's driven by consumerism. It's driven by capitalism. It's driven by the few who promise all the things that, that come with having new shiny things. And if you go a step further, then an actual act of defiance is buying clothes in a secondhand store Mm -hmm. is wearing those clothes to death, you know, is wearing that same shirt for however many times that, that now is an act of rebellion. So I've been doing that this year. I've been trying to buy less. So I've been committing to just buying maximum one item a month. And for you, that might seem like excessive already, but I actually do feel the impact that there's a mental impact. It's also a liberation of knowing that I'm kind of doing my own thing, but I feel like I don't stand a chance against the complex infrastructure around me. It's, it's a reality actually that's been created. That is just so broadly accepted that a thing is fashionable or not. I mean, can you imagine that? And, and the things, if you look one step further, the things that don't fall out of fashion are things that are rarely used or are really expensive. So like a Bentley, you know, the, the design hasn't changed that much in a Rolls Royce. The design hasn't changed that much in 50 years. The tuxedo Dean Martin wore would be the same type of tuxedo I would wear and it would still be quote unquote fashionable. Mm-hmm. However, it's the quicker turnaround, the three months, this was fashionable, like that is that was fashion in 2021. This is fashion in 2022. If, if we take it all back to, as you have exactly described, this kind of social capital, you're losing social capital. You, you risk falling outside of that. 
and the machine that you're up against is way more powerful than you are as an individual, sort of. I mean, you know, I want to put an asterisk beside that. The people who are designing this are neuroscientists like me and psychologists who have insights in exactly how you subtly prod the, the anxiety. And of course, what do we do when we get into anxiety or you get into threat? You get to you move to drive, you move to do things. Mm -hmm. So if I can move on then to sort of what, you know, where that kind of takes us, because it's all well and good knowing that. I'll always talk about this three circles model from a guy called Paul Gilbert. And I'm sure you've come across it before. And if, if you can envisage three circles at the bottom is a red circle and that's threat. And then there are two circles that sit above that. On the right hand side is a green circle. We're going to call that soothing. And on the left hand side is a blue circle. That's drive. So the bottom is red and above you have a green and a blue soothing and drive. And what we tend to do is ping from threat to drive. All the emails you have to do, all the things you have to do. Oh, Jesus, I forgot to do that. I got to get that. Mm -hmm. Oh, what about that? Oh, God, I need to save more money. And, you know, we boom, 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 back and forth from drive to threat, drive to threat, drive to threat. And it's useful, I suppose, at some level. But if we look at the neuroscience of it, you're, you're basically constantly living off that adrenaline-driven limbic system activation stuff. And we know that when that system is activated, it takes the prefrontal cortex more offline. It takes your, your cerebral cortex in general becomes less involved in decision-making. And you begin to make those snap threat-based decisions. And so you say, all right, what do we do about that? So if I'm ever talking in a company or talking to a group of individuals or whatever it might be about anxiety, stress, whatever way you want to describe it, I will spend 95% of the time talking about the mechanism because you can then introduce in five minutes at the end, once you understand the mechanism, you say, okay, here are some ways to get around that mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I'll go to that three circles model. So think about your red circle on the bottom and top left is that blue circle of drive, getting things done, achieving, you know, meeting goals and all that kind of thing. But instead of pinging from the red to the blue, what we always say to people is, get to the green first. Activate that green circle, the soothing system. Now, let's go to the physiology for a second. We have a physiology which we're all well aware of, which drives us from threat to action. You know, you race across in front of a car to, to, to grab a, a little kid. You know, oh, we have a million different examples of that. You know, scrambling to try and lash out the emails in the morning before you start work, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you're worried about time and you're worried about the boss and you're worried about not getting things done and performance, etc. There's also a similar physiology, which, if we can take advantage of it, allows us to go through that green circle and then from the green circle to the blue circle. There's nothing wrong with the blue circle. I mean, we all have to do things that we are, you know... We can achieve things and whatnot. But rather than go from red to blue, let's go from red to green. So we often talk about growing your green. When I do that talk, I say to people, if there's one thing you can put on your desk after this, is put, print out that three circles model and say, what's my green circle? What's over here? So let's say your green circle is your son or your daughter or your puppy, or that amazing holiday you went on, 
Or your reality TV obsession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever it might be that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Go back to our example about social exclusion. What that does is it activates the physiology, the oxytocin, what they call the rest and digest syndrome, which reminds your body that you are in an in-group. Everything is fine. We, I am a part, I'm not excluded. Like the red circle would have me believe. It turns down the threat. It reminds you, it, 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 if you want to use the word hijacks in a positive way, the soothing physiology. And you get from there to blue, your drive circle is now, your, your, your goals and your achieving and all that is now bringing in all the parts of your brain that help with better decision-making. And that decision-making then might be, do I actually need that 10 euro t-shirt? Or am I better off paying 70 euros in a shop which pays its staff properly? Like it's two sides of the same coin. What if people think the things that's like the dopamine and the oxytocin that they get from scrolling social media or for going and doing a, an online shopping haul, that they think that's the soothing? How can people know? Because even there, as I said, like reality TV, I was like, hang on a second. That's probably feeding off your need for more and more as well. So the things that I think are soothing might actually be counterproductive in that way. Maybe they're keeping me on this loop. I mean, that's a very, very good point. And that's a sort of a snap decision a person might make, you know, and that's what we do. You've, you've half an hour off at work or you're so shattered in the evening after 12 hours, you just lie on the couch and you get onto your phone. And of course, all of these systems are designed to take advantage of that fact to keep you hassled. We talked to Brezzy a lot about mindfulness and all that kind of stuff. What, what this is, all about is actually taking a step back. Can you, is, is there a moment in which you can take a step back? Okay, let's, let's use the green circle as our example. What is actually in there is based, and, and, and this is where we talk to Louise and Carol about values-based living. Don't tell me that, I could be wrong. Maybe I am just gone beyond, <laughs> gone beyond understanding what people need or want. But I'm fairly certain that most people will say, no, I don't love spending 35 hours a week or 28 hours a week on my phone. I'm not proud of the fact that my phone tells me, you know, your phone usage is up by 17%. I don't think anybody's happy with that. But what happens is the whole thing, the endless scrolling, the Instagram, whatever, the nine second clips on, on social media, they're all designed to take advantage of you pinging from that red to blue. So, so what do we do to get out of that? What We need to understand what's in our green circle. That becomes about taking a step back and getting soothed. So getting some sort of peace and understanding, no matter what, what ravine I meet, no matter what kind of trees and lakes and rivers I have to go around, that point is always there as my guiding star, as it were. That's the value that I'm hooking things on. And it's not a linear journey. Mm -hmm. You don't have to all, I mean, it's not always going to be easy. But that sits there as the guide so that if you do veer off, when you do have to go around a ravine, when you do have a terrible day or you do let yourself down or whatever it is, that's grand. You still have your value sitting there that gets you back to that green circle. And it's taking those moments. This is what the world is trying to prevent us from doing. The world doesn't want you to think about the nine-year-old getting a dollar a day or a dollar a week in Burma who's making that T-shirt that you're wearing now. 
And what, but if you do have that second to think about it, what do they do? They make you feel guilty about it. So it, the whole system is stacked against us in that way. Part of the antidote is stepping back out, looking at what your values are and say, okay, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to always do it. And I, I'm not looking for perfection. But, you know, broadly speaking, this is where these are where my values sit. And can I examine some of my actions on a day-to-day basis and sort of stack them up against my values and think, is this, is this in line with my values? Now, that's a, that's a complicated enough process in some ways, but in many ways, it's not. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The basal level of anxiety that you speak of, to me, sounds like something, even though it's, it's not doing us any favors and we're staying in this state of fight or flight all the time, it sounds like almost like an adaptive thing. It's helpful if we're always a little bit on edge, we're always ready to pounce. So it's actually like our body's trying to have our back, but the long-term effect can't be good of being in that state. So what's happening to us as we're scrolling, like my husband thinking he's decompressing and soothing himself by scrolling and scrolling after work on the phone and he just needs 20 minutes or whatever. Hmm. What's happening to us then? And what's the cumulative effect of that? Well, I mean, the thing is it does work to decompress you for that 20 minutes. And that's grand, you know, that that's, you know, those little hits of dopamine or, you know, you're scrolling through something and every now and again, there's something interesting you see. And, and you, it's, it's, it's again designed in that um, intermittent reinforcement way. It's unpredictable. So every now and again, you get this little reward and it doesn't need to be much. It's, it's, it's the same reason the dog sits at the table when you're having dinner. Mm-hmm. All it needs is a few crumbs every now and again. 
but every dinner time it could be this time you know what i mean so this it's the same with with media in general and 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 that's all well and good and it's easy and it's sort of distracting okay so we are getting the dopamine we are getting those little rewards go back to our three circles yeah it's it's not really in line with your values and that's where the ultimate cognitive dissonance comes in because now you spent a half an hour on the phone and you know that there are things you'd rather be doing there are more fulfilling ways that you know you could be spending your time yeah and when you do it that's very useful but if you go back to that, that question about what's happening in our bodies in this kind of constant basal state of anxiety people figured out a long time ago that you know human beings have a sort of a natural state of sort of slight unease and that's what's kept us alive as a species and you know you can look at politics and and you can say you, you could you just you can create a threat you can create a bogeyman and then when you create a bogeyman well you you can also then offer the solution well i'm the solution with these hard-hitting things that under normal circumstances you wouldn't accept but because i have made you so fearful because i have whipped you up into such a frenzy people will accept anything for safety. So if you take just take the basic human individual and that constant basal rate of heightened anxiety. If you've ever known anybody who's taking steroids, who's who's really ill and or they've got some sort of autoimmune disease and they have to take steroids and you watch what happens over time. Now that's a really really exaggerated process. But if you are constantly inundated with an increased basal rate of endogenous steroids, you have all sorts of health complications associated with that. Your, your immune system is suppressed and you get more infections and you feel more ill. And you think about that, just, just feeling sort of slightly less well. But it's very subtle over time. It's, it's extremely subtle. And, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, yeah, that's not me. But the, the point we're getting at here is, is that if you do that at scale, that's extremely powerful. Because you talk to any one person who's got even the wildest beliefs, that one person will seem reasonable enough. That small effect across a mass of people, that's a huge impulse to buy, a huge impulse to vote in a certain way, a huge impulse to update your wardrobe. You know what I mean? That's, you're talking about scale. And that insidious nature of things is what keeps the whole pandemic of anxiety running. It's extremely complex, of course, because you're fighting against such an extremely complex machinery. Do you think the machine is aware of creating this anxiety that whether it's the social media app or the politician or the traditional media, you would like to think like a clothing brand, whatever, like wants to make your life better, but it does so by making you think there's a problem already. It ultimately comes down to money. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in the last year. You know, we need to get people back out in the streets. We need to get people into shops. We need to get people spending. Yeah, and I totally get that, that, you know, families and, you know, you know, we you need to have shops open because a lot of people are depending on in, incomes and whatnot. And, you know, I, I think you can say, you know, your, your, your local person who has a clothes store or who sells shoes or whatever it is. I mean, I'm not sure that they're going out deliberately to make you feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's part of this whole broader system, which is absolutely 110% deliberate. They know you better than you know yourself. These, I mean, you have the dopamine labs in the US who is literal. I mean, they're literally saying, we know how your neurophysiology works. And if you pay us enough money, we will tell you how you can manipulate the physiology of your customer 
based on big data to understand what they like, what are their greatest fears, what are their greatest insecurities, and we'll give them the solution. We'll give them the temporary hit to make them feel like they're in the in-group. Now, you as the individual consumer, or me as the individual consumer, I'm not aware of that. I, I'm not culpable in that. It's sort of, quote unquote, the world we live in. But that is re- that's a really sinister issue because you don't have to look very far on your newsfeed to understand how very powerful it is to create a bogeyman, to create a fear, to create an existential threat, and then offer the solution to that. Mm-hmm. That's, that happens all the time. And whilst at the same time, the actual threats to our existence, the things that, w- that will end us as a species, are being ignored because people are so frantically worried about existence. And this is where, and an, I want to talk about one particular study about gratitude, and, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but essentially people were put into an MRI scanner and they were given a particular type of gratitude exercise. And, and one type of gratitude exercise was to compare how well you were doing to, to other people. You know, like the, isn't it better than a kick in the arse kind of gratitude? And you, you look at brain areas that activated and those brain areas were related to stress. In the experiment, these people had an opportunity to give money to charity. Uh, part of their money that they were getting for the experiment was charity. And virtually nobody did that. On the other hand, another group of people were given all the conditions were exactly the same, except the gratitude exercise. And the gratitude exercise was more just gratitude for gratitude's sake. You know, think of five things that you are grateful for not comparatively. And those people, when they were given the opportunity to donate to charity, were much, much more likely to do so. The conclusion, which I agree with some of the authors, is that there was an implicit threat in the first one where you're comparing yourself to others and you got this whole threat response. So people said in that sort of slightly heightened, threatened state, people were much more likely to to keep resources for the Mm in-group, fending for my family, or my group of people, I'm, you know, that, that $20 I'm going to get, I'm going to keep that. Whereas people who had gratitude for its own sake didn't have all the, that stress response and were much more likely to be altruistic because they were less threatened. Now, that's a, that's a small microcosm. It's one study. It's, it's dozens of, a few dozen people. But it's that basic phenomenon that if you or, or I, we're all just working and, and trying to make a living and and, you know, we're, we're all on the treadmill, as it were. The whole system is designed to keep you slightly on edge, which makes you make decisions which are selfish. And then what it does later on is it tells you how selfish you are for making those decisions and lambastes you with existential threat, while at the same time keeping you so anxious that it's really, really, really difficult to make decisions in the interests of the big group and not make decisions in the interest of the small group. So I need a car. I need a car. You know, I need to drop my kids to school or or it's okay for me to do this horrible job that I know is not really in line with my values, but I need it. And then the cycle, you you can see how this builds up into concentric circles of stress and anxiety and entrapment. So if there's the social exclusion, the fear of social exclusion, which we spoke about at the beginning, if that's kind of at the root of a lot of these issues or that the basal anxiety is because of that fear of social exclusion, would it make sense 
where do we have some agency, maybe where we have some power, cognitively speaking, would be to work on the social comparison thing, then we're less likely to value the social currency of like what we're wearing or what we're viewing or what we're seen to be doing. Like, I'm just trying to think of like drilling down Mm -hmm. to one area that if you worked on that, like, I mean, I think social comparison is one of the hardest things to get on top of. I think it's so innate. I think it's been just put on speed with technology and social media. If we worked on that, would we stand a chance? Yes, I think that's a fair, I, I think that's a very fair assessment of it. And I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Because if we could, un, if we can empower ourselves to understand ourselves, this is why people like the QEGs at the clinic. It's just getting a sense of yourself and having some time to have insight into what's happening. You know, like talking to a, a four-year-old and they keep saying, why, why? Why are you buying that? Why, why, why? Just, just bring that to the, to the table and just ask ourselves in a non-threatening way, check in with yourself after your phone usage or, you know, when you're going to the shops or whatever it is. It's about getting a little bit of time, a little bit of space. And remember now, this, this phone, car, you go everywhere with it. You bring it to bed at nighttime. That threat is always there. It's about taking, trying to find a little bit of time away from that to even understand why am I doing this? What, what's this trying to get me to do? Now, it's often a bit too subtle for it to be, oh, hang on, I see this big bogeyman coming. You know, it's, it's, it's often not as, as blatant as Donald Trump trying to just create a huge bogeyman. It's often not as, as, as blatant as that. It's often more subtle. But if we can get into the habit of checking in with ourselves and think about that word that I keep going back to, emotion, E, motion. It's trying to get you to move to do something. It's trying to get action. It's trying to get you from red circle to blue circle. Well, if you're going to have an emotion, let's try and get from from red circle to green circle first. So having your values in the front of your mind would be one of the best starting points with all of this anxiety to come back to that all the time. It would. And and giving yourself a break. Mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, you're being harangued into buying stuff, let's say. On the other hand, you're being shamed for buying stuff. Yeah. Both of, the, both of those actually work in a, they're, they're hand in hand. They're, you're, you're going to keep buying stuff or you're just going to feel miserable. So I really love what you just said about, you know, buying one thing a month. You've acknowledged how uneasy that can make you feel, particularly when, you, when you're in the public. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it is, it is cutthroat. It's horrible. But what you've also built into that is you, you haven't said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never buying anything ever again. No, because I know that I wouldn't be able to go up against that drive. Yeah, that, that sort of all those forces. So what you've done, I think, is a really lovely middle ground where you said, OK, I, I want to look at my values and think presumably, you know, driven by, you know, money or the environment or, or whatever it might be. And at the same time, acknowledging that you are a human being. Sometimes it's fine to go out and give yourself a little bit of a treat of something or that's absolutely grand. Yeah. It's, it, this is not about sort of full duck or no dinner. <laughs> this is stepping back, looking at your values, understanding our own weaknesses and our own strengths. And we are extremely powerful. In, in all of this conversation, it can very easily become a narrative about having no power, disempowerment. 
But actually, we are much more powerful. And I know this sounds like fridge magnet philosophy, but (laughs) but it's actually true. We are much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. We don't have to be pushed around. You can be. You can become aware of it. We just need to be conscious. That's it. And that goes back to values, goes back to buying yourself a few minutes. Just a few minutes. It's in that little space. That's where your power lies. And not to shame yourself. Shame is a huge driver here. Don't shame yourself when you lose out to that monstrous machinery that's driving you towards behavior. Don't shame yourself. But also don't be hopeless. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. And, you know, I I saw a lovely image the other day of a fish, a big fish and like lots and lots of small fish. And they're all running away from the big fish. And I think it was about unions. But in the next panel, all the small fish formed the shape of a giant fish from which the the larger fish was, was swimming away. And it was the idea was don't run away scared, get organized. And this is the idea of people say, well, sure, what, what difference does it make if I do anything? Yeah, that's absolutely true. But if we can come together and, and nudge things in a particular way, you know, we, we, we vote with our feet, as it were. That, that's a conversation for another day. But I don't want people to feel that this is hopeless. The first step here is understanding. You know, we, we can come back and talk in a year's time when people have put this into practice and you begin to say, oh, hang on, there's a subtle thing that's happening there. They're trying to get me to do. And it's not all about just advertising on a website. Do you know what I mean? It's not just about trying to, oh, I'm not going to click on that ad. It's much more subtle. Why am I hearing the news I'm hearing? Why, why is it that even the most reputable news agencies now have clickbait headlines? Why is that? And, beginning to question that reality, beginning to question the social exclusion idea and understanding how it's pushing you around is a really, really powerful first step. Yeah. So just understanding the mechanism, like you said. And even just feeling it. Why do I feel like doing that? Just just question it a little bit. So that's kind of the first part, which I hope we've done some of here in this conversation and then the self-compassion for the fact that you're one individual going up against a machine and all of those incredible forces but also then tapping into the power that you do have, which is bringing yourself into the green zone, realigning yourself with your values and really asking yourself what's important to you and being really honest about that and really interrogating values that you think are your values. Like, for example, thinking that a value of yours is to like have nice clothes. Like, well, why, where is that really coming from? Is it actually a value or have you been convinced to think it's an important value because of the social currency? Then to take a little bit of time to understand the social comparison drive, try to bring yourself back to yourself with that. And just have a little bit of space and a little bit of time to ask yourself why and be a little bit more aware as you make decisions, as you move through your day. And think about what are the, because, you know, most of us have a rebellious streak in there somewhere, do you know? I think it's easier to do it now because people are waking up a little bit to what's going on with climate change and everything and the environment. And it's now become a currency to be sustainable. So I'm probably still getting my hit from the fact that I know I'm doing good socially by saying, well, I'm not buying a hundred things a week from Zara. It's another one of those forces that act upon us. If it's going to be a force, then why not make it cool? Yeah. Obviously it'd be brilliant if, if this however many billion of us there are now, we're all individually thinking and all that, you know, but 
the fact is somebody's seeing a, an opportunity here and and you know now there's a whole other um ecosystem around that but fantastic i mean if if that's if that's the first step to where we need to go yeah then i'm all about that yeah so making it work for you and your brain that's right and and this is where culture comes in and you think about kids now and the concept of you know recycling and reusing and and kids asking the questions about why do i need that or why do we do it this way or or whatever it is their kids will look back on us and think we we were just a blip even my own nieces and nephews some of them are in their 20s and when i did my psychology degree back in the 90s you know people smoked in their offices in the university that time and that just blows their minds so they i i'm hopeful that kids in the future our children or our children's children will look back and think, why, why would you buy 17 different T-shirts <laughs> and wear them four times? I like to think about it like acts of rebellion. What, what can you do to give a two fingers to the system? I don't know. Wear the same jacket. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I think it's, it's really difficult. I don't have this problem because nobody's photographing me anywhere, but it's a really brave thing to do. And I, and I, I mean, I, Again, I don't mean this to sound flippant, but it's such an extremely pressurized environment that it actually is a brave thing to do to step out and say, you know what, I don't need to buy another one of those things. And then how empowering that is for other people to say, yeah, I've worn this 20 times. Dr. Michael Kane, if people want to learn more or follow you, I know you're probably not doing much on social media, but Actualize is the company, right? That's right. Actualize.ie is our website. And I recently took the brave step to make my own website, which is just drmichaelcain.com. But uh, yeah, the, the clinic, the Actualize.ie clinic is probably the easiest place to find out about the, the brain stuff. Please come back again soon and let's unpack something else. I just love hearing you explain things. You just make everything make so much sense. Let it be said for the record, you're wearing a lovely purple shirt there. So you are fashionable. <laughs> and I have worn this about a hundred times. <laughs> Good. You're getting your bang for your book. I am indeed. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise and have a great day. You too. Thanks for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. 
it'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.